Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 120, Conspiracy. Welcome in to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm the thing that's taken over Ken Ray. And I'm the thing that's taken over John Champion. Each week, we seek to subvert society as you know it, pretending whoa, to be upstanding whoa, whoa, people. Dude, that, dude, dude, that is yeah. what we are doing secretly. Oh, all right. Uh, we, we're supposed to say each week we examine an episode of Star Trek to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. That is correct. Secretly, though, we're doing the same thing we do every week, trying to take over the world. And if you want to help us, there are a number of ways you can. They start by letting us know your plan. There are a few ways to do that. Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, where the handle is Mission Log Pod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. You can visit our show website if you want to, including the discovered documents and all the cool stuff that we talk about that's not, well, the stuff that we're doing right here. Missionlogpodcast.com is the place to do that. And we have two additional people uh, carrying our show online, trekmovie.com and trekfm. That's at trek.fm. Remember, however you get in touch with us, we may use your plan to dominate civilization. And we may also use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. All well said, Ken. Now, uh, if you'll indulge me, I'll move along to the trivia for uh, today's episode, Conspiracy. Won't you please? Oh, yes, Conspiracy. We should say that, shouldn't we? (laughs) Yes, we should. Are we actually doing Conspiracy this week, or is that just what we want people to think? We're not allowed to say. Okay. Trivia, you say. All right. So uh, today's episode was uh, originally drafted by Robert Sabaroff. Uh, His episode was called Assassins, uh, but it was thoroughly rewritten by Tracy Torme and uh, directed by Cliff Bull. Now, uh, Torme turned in two story drafts, uh, one on February 3rd, one on February 10th, 1988, completely rewriting that original. Um, The original would have been much more political, much more oriented to the discussion of the Prime Directive. It even used the phrase coup d'etat within Starfleet. And, um, well, a lot of that got nixed. Um, What would have been a commentary on Iran-Contra and uh, a follow-up from the seed planted in Coming of Age was kind of killed uh, to turn it into a scary alien story. Um, Gene Roddenberry kind of nixed any notion of subversion within Starfleet. I've got a lot of very interesting discovered documents this week, um, including the original story draft by Robert Sabaroff. I would say 90% of that story draft is there and available for you to read. So take a look at that. And then I also have notes and follow-up between Bob Just and Maurice Hurley about Tracy Torme's redraft of that script. Uh, This episode won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup, 
And um, yes, I know that you're all wondering, that is indeed the chair uh, that was used in too short a season. That was the wheelchair uh, that was seen that stripped of its <laughs> non-moving, poorly moving wheels for Rimmick to be seated in this episode. What I know you, that you are concerned about that, Ken. You said that cost $10,000 to make, right? It did. So it's a yeah, good thing they got two uses. It should seriously be in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, hey, you look at it. It's now in two episodes. That's now only a $5,000 chair. That's true. It's twice. Yeah. So money well spent i feel certain yeah um and in this episode i thought it was interesting we hear about some new ships the uh, the uss horatio no word exactly who that was named for although the horatio hornblower stories are often kind of used as a touch point for star trek that is, that is a uh, uh, literary historical touch point which people would describe star trek as being horatio hornblower in space so that's interesting, know. though, because Horatio, of course, was Hamlet's friend. And if there's uh, one, if there's true, one yeah. thing Star Trek loves. Uh, they love Shakespeare. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other ship that I thought was uh, kind of a cool shout out is the USS Thomas Paine. I'm a big, big fan of Thomas Paine. Um, if you don't know much about Thomas Paine, he was uh, a revolutionary figure. And um, he actually his writing is uh, part of what kind of congealed the revolutionary sentiment at the time for the uh, the colonies to break away from the English government. And um, it, toward the end of his life, I mean, he, he was almost kind of too revolutionary for the revolutionaries. He spoke out quite a bit against, uh, well, politics and religion and had a lot to say about ethics. And um, it, it's interesting, a little bit of trivia that uh, only six people attended his funeral uh, when he passed away in 1809. Uh, he was essentially, and I, I quote here from the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, ostracized for his ridicule of Christianity. Now, we, we should say, and you know, you grew up in the States, and, mm-hmm. I, and I grew up in the States. As far as I know. Yeah, yeah there, there are other people that are listening who, who aren't in the States, so you are talking about the U.S. Revolution. Not just that like, is the one. Not yes, just like, it, you know, oh, he's a revolutionary guy. You know? Yeah, well, no, the, the colonies breaking away from England. That, well, that was, you, yeah. You did, yeah, you did sort of get to that, but I just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I try not to be overly, like, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, it's not to correct you. It's just you know, it's, no, no. Uh, but, I'm yeah. you know, now. I feel bad. Maybe I'll just I'll, I'll just pretend that whole part never happened. No, no, no. Because we hope that all of our listeners in uh, Sri Lanka and uh, other parts of the world, we we hope that uh, now they're clear on what we're talking about. Sri Lanka. Yeah, our three guys listening in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka are like, woo! It's like a, it's like a melon camp concert. Oh my! They mentioned they, yeah. It's another case of first contact. Going horribly, horribly wrong. Let's let Ken tell us more. Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way someplace nice. The planet Pacifica. Heads they won't get there, tails it won't be as nice as they expect. And it's heads. Muljordi continues the quest he and Data are on of trying to make Data more human. Knock, knock. Who's there? Humor escapes him. Captain Picard gets a super-secret decoder call. Code 47. Captain's eyes only. No records. No trace. It's Picard's old friend, Captain Walker Keel. Something's up. He can't explain over subspace. Even over a secure channel. They must meet face-to-face. They'll rendezvous on Ditalix B. It's not just for hair loss anymore. Pacifica can wait. 
and don't tell anybody why you're changing course, and don't trust anyone. It'll be fun. Act 1. Picard puts in the course correction and orders his crew to say nothing. No records, no calls to Pacifica. Let's go. None of that stops Riker and Data from trying to figure out why they're going to Titalics B. But they cannot. It's a dead planet. A dead planet with three other Federation starships orbiting around it. One is the Horatio, commanded by Walker Keel. Picard says he'll be beaming down alone. On the planet, people in Starfleet garb have phasers drawn on Picard. There's Keel, Picard's friend, giving him a grilling like you read about. Common sense questions, followed by questions meant to trip Picard up. He passes the test. The assembled captains had to make sure that Picard was actually Picard. Here's the deal. Stuff's getting weird at Starfleet. Weird orders, odd commands. Plus, people are dying. Key people. Supposedly accidents, but it all seems hinky. Keel's pretty sure that people are being replaced by other people. People just like the people they're replacing. Keel's convinced that his first officer has changed ever since they visited Earth, and maybe his medical officer, too. Picard's having a hard time believing. Fine, whatever. Just keep your eyes open and stay in touch. Secretly. Act 2. Remember how Picard wasn't supposed to trust or tell anybody? That apparently doesn't include Counselor Troy. Not quite as understanding as one might expect. She's all, you're risking your career, mister. And he's all, but Keel's my friend. He and Jack Crusher, R.I.P., are, slash, were, my best friends. Picard trusts them, even if he doesn't believe them. Troy says Picard should tell the rest of the crew, but he says no. He doesn't want to risk implicating them. You're welcome, Counselor Troy. Right, off to Pacifica. Want to go double or nothing on that coin toss? On the way, Picard tasks Data with looking through every order from Starfleet to bases and ships of the fleet looking for... something. Also on the way, Worf picks up some sort of disturbance, as if lots of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Well, sort of. It's actually more like a starship has been destroyed. And it has. It's Keel's ship, the Horatio. Act 3. Well, now Picard believes Keel's suspicions. Or he's starting to, anyway. He decides to share those suspicions with Riker. Riker's not buying, although Picard reminds him that Keel wasn't the only one worried that something was up with Starfleet. Remember Admiral Quinn and his little toady Remick? They thought something was up. Riker's still not convinced. Here's the thing. Remember Data's busy work looking over every order from Starfleet to bases and ships of the fleet? Yeah, his findings are intriguing. Startling, even. He confirms Picard's concerns. Odd stuff has been happening in space. Starfleet has been shuffling commands. It looks to Data like a clandestine attempt to control areas of space. On board now, Riker says this could be a prelude to invasion. So they are headed to Earth to confront Starfleet with their suspicions. Earth kind of keeps the Enterprise waiting, though eventually the ship is hailed by Starfleet Command. Sup, Enterprise? Apparently Sup home soil hasn't caught on yet. On screen are three admirals, including Picard's old friend, Admiral Quinn. Great to see you, Enterprise, as always, but what are you doing here now? Picard says he would like to talk that over face-to-face. -face. Just then, Quinn's toady, Remick, hits the screen, all whispery in the ears of the admirals. Hold, please! Riker's hackles go up at the sight of Remick. 
Otherwise, things look normal. Troy doesn't think so, though, but she can't say who's hiding what. She just knows somebody's hiding something. The admirals invite Picard and Riker down for dinner. They accept. Quinn says he can't make it, but he would love to see the Enterprise again. Picard says he's welcome to come on up, which he does. With some sort of squirmy, squiggly, alien thing. In a case. Act 4. Picard and Quinn have a short talk aboard the Enterprise. Hey, says Picard, remember that time you told me that you thought something was trying to take over and destroy the Federation? Dude, you took that literally? I just meant this whole Federation thing is kind of tough. My bad. Potentially awkward, except Picard doesn't believe it. Now he thinks Quinn has been replaced. He says he'll head to the planet for dinner, but he'll leave Riker here to watch Quinn. I mean, help out, Admiral Quinn. Oh, and get Dr. Crusher to figure out a reason to give Quinn a full medical workup. On the planet, Picard is greeted by the two other admirals and Commander Remick. It's quiet at Starfleet Command. Too quiet. On the Enterprise, Riker asks Quinn what's in the case he's been clutching. What, this? It's alien life. Superior life. It's awesome. Wanna see? Riker says he'd rather have a science officer take a look, though Quinn says it wouldn't like the science officer. It would like him. He then proceeds to beat the tar out of Riker, though Riker is able to call security before losing consciousness. Planet side, the admirals are quizzing Picard about what brought him home. Well, lots of things, like what happened to the Horatio. By the way, anyone know officially what happened to the Horatio? Oh yeah, say the admirals, it imploded due to negligence by your friend, Captain Keel. On the Enterprise, Quen tells LaForge and Worf that Riker has hit his head or something. Now if you'll excuse me... And LaForge says maybe Quinn should wait until the doctor arrives. Then Quinn throws LaForge through the closed doors of his quarters and tells Worf he's next. Act 5. Quinn makes short work of Worf, taunting him while kicking his butt. He is, however, stopped by phaser fire from Dr. Crusher. No way that old man should have been able to take these three guys out. But an examination confirms it is Quinn. But what's that sort of tail wagging out of the back of his head. On the planet, the admirals are making small talk with Picard about conspiracies. They're usually just kooky ideas held by kooky people. Now how about some dinner? Picard says sure, he just wants to call up to the ship first and find out what's keeping Riker. Dr. Crusher answers the hail. So your friend Quinn has been taken over by a parasite. Makes him super strong. You can ID the people who have been taken over by the sort of tail sticking out of the back of their heads at the base of their neck. Well, that's one way. Another way is their diet of grub worms, like the ones being eaten by the admirals. Seriously. And there's a bowl for Picard. He tries to back out of the room, but Riker arrives. Riker, who's apparently been taken over by the parasitic somethings. He's even got a tail sticking out of the back of his head. One more for dinner, it's Captain Scott, one of the other captains with Walker Keel on Ditalics B. Yes, the admirals knew that Picard knew, but they're a patient race. They let him come to them rather than them chasing him. The Riker alien is encouraged to eat up, but wait! The Riker alien is actually Riker! He fires on the assembled and, as each goes down, the squiggly alien thing controlling them crawls out of their mouths and skitters away... Away to Remick? Turns out the thing controlling them all is being hosted in Remick's body. So Picard and Riker blow him up. Seriously. The most graphic scene one is ever likely to see on an episode of Star Trek. 
Even the movies were never so graphic. There is Remick head debris everywhere. And somebody owes somebody $100. Seriously, Remick's head explodes. The good news is they're able to kill the organism that was controlling Remick, and that kills all the other beings controlling the other people. The bad news, Remick had been sending a message, apparently to others of the parasitic alien race. Data suspects it was a homing beacon to Earth. The end? Ken, all I could think of was, um, did you ever watch uh, SCTV? I, I did. All I can think of was uh, introducing, you know, today, today on Celebrity Blow Up, we got uh, we got a Starfleet officer and uh, he's a really great guy. We're glad to have him. Everybody say hi to Rimmick. And boy, that Rimmick, he blowed up real good. Yes, he did. He blowed up real good. Yes, he did. He did indeed. I thought of that. I thought of scanners, although I, I, you know, Mm -hmm. there just visually there are a few pop references here. I mean, the skin sort of comes away from Remick's face, kind of mm. like the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the things crawling across the floor are supposed to look scary like the things in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, but they move like almost everything on Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I applaud, I applaud people for knowing when they can't do CG. And certainly in 88, they wouldn't have been able to do convincing CG of this thing crawling across the floor. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do... Hermie, who wanted to be a dentist, moved more believably than this thing crawling across the floor. I'm sorry, am I jumping to the end of the show? I think you're jumping to the end of I the ap- show. I apologize. Yeah. Scary idea. And the one in the case, the one in the case looked great. Yeah. Yeah, the one in, in, uh, in the case that uh, Admiral Quinn was carrying. Well, they kind of do look like the SETI Alpha Eels, but they're cleaned up. You, you kind of see their fleshy bodies rather than their scaly green and kind of dark brown bodies. Well, I mean, they control whatever society they're in, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. ones from SETI Alpha 5 um, have to have that sort of hard carapace because, you know, it's tough living on SETI Alpha 5 these days. Yeah, hard yeah. out here being an eel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was never it was never a pleasure planet to begin with. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Um, kind of neat to see. Uh, so Trila Scott, the captain who joined them for uh, dinner, uh, kind of neat to see her. Um, it was not mentioned in the description, but uh, female, mm-hmm. black. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the 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 fastest to go from Starfleet to captain mm-hmm. uh, in the history of Starfleet. Kind of too bad that she turns out to be a bad guy. <laughs> I was about to say, too bad we had to kill her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, I don't think she died. Did she? She was well, it, definitely I, I knocked the, unconscious. Yeah, yeah. But I, well, I got the impression at the end that uh, all of them on Earth, uh, all of those who were uh, filled with the parasite on Earth, mm-hmm. died during that process. And it was a sort of a rarity because you had Quinn on the Enterprise in sickbay that Dr. Crusher was able to get that parasite out. See, we're never actually told that, though. In fact, Picard says in his big end thing, he's like, yeah, so we don't even know how many of these things there were, but it looks like none of them could survive without yeah. uh, the one that was controlling Remick. Oh, right, right, right. So, so my assumption was that they all just, like, you know, had coughing jags and, mm-hmm. you know, tossed up these little Pee-wee's Playhouse monsters. Well, that would be nice. That would be nice if only Remick was the uh, the casualty of this episode. Yeah, I, 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 that's such a waste of that character, I think. I know. Yeah, I know. but I guess we'll get to that later as well, won't we? I apologize. I so. 
I do love you pointed out that in Act Two that uh, Picard is sworn to secrecy and he won't tell anything to anybody except for all the stuff he tells to everybody around him. Well, it takes him a while to tell most people. I actually found myself like I wanted Deanna to go, really? So you're worried about them? You know, when she's like, <laughs> yeah. you should tell everybody else. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to arrest them because, you know, if, if people find out that they know, then they'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, I, we'll come back to this idea of the conspiracy and the discussion, but it, that sort of very easily indicates the problem with conspiracies is, is that ultimately in order to coordinate it, you have to talk to other people about it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and in this case, Picard has got to figure out what's going on. So, of course, he's going to talk to other people about it. But yeah, yeah, you don't actually you don't actually have to talk to other people about your conspiracy, though, if you are sort of like a hive mind alien thing that's run by something that's bigger than the chest cavity in which it's living. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. I was. I was. I was a little um, confused by Ditalics B, and not mm-hmm. just because it sounds like something that you would take for you know, <laughs> it does hair yeah. loss, erectile dysfunction, skin Diabetes, condition, whatever. Yeah. Diabetes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. Um, so Ditalics B is an uninhabited planet mined by the Ditalics Corporation. <sighs> According to data. Really? Yeah. How long ago? Are they, yeah. st- are they still working? Do we do that now? Because I, I thought we had mining colonies. Are the mining colonies all run by third parties? Does Harry Mudd know about this? It does. It do- yes. it, it, there's a good question. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just kind of odd to me. Yeah. And, and so, so is the Ditalix Corporation actually only around these seven planets, though? Because there's the Ditalix Corporation, and this is Ditalix B, one of seven <laughs> planets in this system. Mm-hmm. So is it more like a co-op? <laughs> like you, you you buy local whatever they're mining right yeah it, yeah that, that just it, it opened up a lot of questions that don't get addressed in this yeah about uh, which almost nobody cares i feel certain i i don't know i i think we maybe we'll have a ditalics corporation t-shirt coming soon Ooh, ooh, could we <laughs> maybe i oh okay i get to design the logo well either that or the guy that we actually have working with us who has talent to that kind designs of logos <laughs> yeah <laughs> be great. either me or him i don't know which. yeah yeah um one day ken one day i'm waiting for the episode where they go on shore leave and just literally nothing <laughs> happens other than they get to where they're headed and they have a good time <laughs> <laughs> and end of the episode it's like well Guess we got to leave now. Surely yeah. is over. There you go. <laughs> to fly off into the stars. Act and then, one. And that's <laughs> Ensign Crusher right. picks a flower, which is perfectly legal on this planet. Act right. two. <laughs> exactly. Commander Riker falls in love with somebody, and they do it, and they decide they will part ways amicably. Right. See? Act three. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just all of that. That's the whole thing. I'm going to write that episode. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> that'd be yeah, that'd be fantastic. That's that's got major bank written all over it. Uh, you also you you mentioned the fight between uh, Quinn, the the possessed parasite Quinn, yeah. and just beating the crap out of everyone, and it's kind of a fun scene to watch anyway because there's something great about seeing an old man just just tearing it up, you know, yeah. just destroying these guys. But what really concerned me is that we're several episodes, you know, we're we're at the tail end of season one. And still, nobody has addressed the wooden doors and terrible wallpaper <laughs> crew decks of the Enterprise. This this has got to happen, Ken. It's got to happen. I was kind of amazed when he when he threw uh, Jordy through the wooden doors. 
Yeah. And, and I guess that's supposed to show his strength, but really it did just show the shoddy workmanship. It shows, wow, we're we're in the 24th century and we have wooden doors and yeah. they just fall apart when you bump into them. Yeah, that's sad. Um, and it, there was a scene where I, we're at the, the table at Starfleet and, uh, and all the evil uh, conspirators are there about to dig into their worm dinner. Yeah. And they bring a worm dinner out for Picard. Mm-hmm. A scene purely designed for shock for the audience. It, it reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You yes. know, you sit down for dinner with the Maharaja, and it's all this disgusting chorus one after another. There's really no point of that in this episode. There's no point in doing that, because essentially all you need is for Picard to get into a room where they can cram a parasite down his throat. They don't need to creep him out first, unless these alien parasites are just really into creeping out the host that they're going to inhabit. I I guess. Yeah, it it seems like, yeah, it seems like that's a bad idea, because really, if you're that parasite and your whole evolutionary prerogative is to inhabit as many hosts as you can, you just want to get that part of the job over with. You want to jump into the host body, be done with it. You don't want to sort of warn them and creep them out. By essentially telegraphing, I'm going to get into your body and it's going to be gross and you're going to eat worms and you're going to hate it. Well, uh, in fairness, Remick did say in the end, in a really sort of horrible, almost demonic voice, that what they were looking for was peaceful coexistence. Maybe mm-hmm. if Picard had been like, ooh, worms, they would have been like, oh, well, we don't have to take him over then. He's hard. He's he's cool. He could talk. Here, here's the first guy that we that we can peacefully coexist with. So eat up. This episode really gets under my skin. I can't say what it is, but something about it bugs me. I'm just saying. I find the whole thing hard to swallow. Be sure to tip your weight staff. You guys have been great. So I think there's probably just one sort of big story here. There, there, there doesn't really seem to be like a like an A plot, B plot. I mean, this is all A plot all the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple of little things that were kind of fun in this episode, uh, things that we've talked about in the past, uh, certainly things that could spin off into 20-minute discussions, although they don't have to today. <laughs> um, so they're on their way to Pacifica, right? Yeah. Which is apparently this awesome ocean planet, I assume, based on Pacifica, which is just outside of San Francisco, which is not a place that you'd actually want to go swimming usually because it's a little cold. But otherwise... It's a lovely place. I love Pacifica in the in the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> and Data, you know, it, Troy's like, I'm, I'm going to go swimming because it's going to be awesome. And I love swimming. And Data's like, you know, we got a holodeck. <laughs> and we can totally recreate that experience for you. And Troy says, it's just not the same. And that's, you know, that's it. That's all I yeah. got. It's the same kind of thing that we've been talking about all the way through. And, and, and I get exactly what she's saying. And yet I don't want to get what she's saying. But I get it. You know, well, see, I mean, here's the thing. She she says it's not the same, but the only thing that seems to not be the same is just that somewhere in the back of your head, right. you're saying to yourself, I can stop this at any point and walk right out through that door into the corridor of the right. Enterprise. Right. That's absolutely what's not the same. But other than that, everything else is exactly the same. Yeah, but it's not the same. I know it's not the same, but... <laughs> We go back to our discussion uh, several episodes ago, and it's like, well, okay, emotionally, if you're there and you have the experience that you were there, Mm -hmm. how is that not the same as being there? 
Right. And it's it's exactly what you said. It's the fact that you know. Yeah. You know that it's not the same. I mean, which is which is I mean, which is almost I almost get that more than I do the whole discussion about Minuet. Honestly, I almost mm-hmm. get the whole I'm not actually on a mountain. It feels like I'm on a mountain and that's totally awesome. And I like that. But I mean, in my head, I know I'm not actually on a mountain, which is very different than. Okay, I know this person is not a person who was born of a man and a woman or born of a test tube or however people are born in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. I know I'm talking to zeros and ones standing in front of me, but we are having a real conversation and there is real there's real mental activity going on here. I'm almost right. I'm almost cooler with a with an electric girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> than I am with a fake mountain, oddly enough. Well, yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I, you know, I posed the question at one point, if you jump off the mountain, does mm-hmm. the holodeck realize that you have jumped off the mountain? It's going to prevent you from smashing your body into bits on the ground. You know, the holodeck I, 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 is I smart enough to know that. I don't think we've heard about that yet, have we? Although, actually, come to think of it, though, in um, uh, The Long Goodbye... Everybody was amazed that uh, what's his name, the guy who got shot, got shot, that he was actually mm-hmm. going to lie there and bleed out because there was mm-hmm. theoretically supposed to be some sort of safety that was going to keep that from happening. Whether right. that was the holodeck would never do anything that would actually kill them or if it was that the holodeck was going to, you know, have him shoot, but, you know, have him miss or have the bullet be a blank or something like that. Everybody was kind of stunned that the guy was going to die there. So yeah. so the, the assumption is you're not going to die on the holodeck. Now. Right. If there's a camera anywhere around, <laughs> then you're probably going to come close to dying on the holodeck because that tends to be the way the holodeck goes uh, for yeah. for this season anyway. But anyway, that's not even a real point of this episode. Um, it was just sort of interesting that in the first like three to five minutes, they hit on a topic that we've hit on a million times. Sure. Well, so then you ask, what is the point? And I might ask the same mm-hmm. question, and what is the point? <laughs> and particularly, what is the point of the alien, the little, uh, the little eel that is not from SETI Alpha 5? Um, and, you know, I, I tried to think about what they do. And is it just, as I said before, their evolutionary prerogative to do what they do? You know, have you heard about these ants that become zombies thanks to a fungus in the jungle? No. Have you heard about this? No? no. Okay. So this is a real thing. There, there is a fungus um, that infects ants and mm-hmm. essentially takes over their tiny little neurological systems and uses the ants for their bidding. So the ants no longer think for themselves and no longer act on their own volition. It is this fungus which is driving them to then go to certain parts of the jungle and live in certain areas and essentially keep growing the population of the fungus hmm. and it's just an evolutionary development that that has caused that or a similar thing there <laughs> there's a uh, i'm sorry do the ants actually have this like total sense of like peace and happiness when that happens though <laughs> no they, they're not on uh omicron side. Oh, okay no. just check it out <laughs> but no i mean they, they, essentially the ants are dead neurologically from what they have been born to yeah, do i was gonna say because they're yeah. ants yeah. How do you yeah. know? I, they, I don't mean no to be a longer... jerk, but how do you know? Because ants, yeah. it's not like ants are you know, like writing songs and you know painting paintings, and then one day, well, now, <laughs> now, they, now these ants are useless. Well, yeah, well, they, they're before, no longer... Before they were walking in a line into colonies, and now they're walk, walking in a line into colonies. Right. No, no, but they're, they're no longer in the colonies. They're no longer oh. in their ant environments. They're no longer oh. doing any of that. 
Okay. They are just, they, they are zombie ants and they're doing the bidding of this fungus. It's really bizarre. I am uh, never going to sleep again. Nope. Nope. It's kind of scary. <laughs> um, or, or a similar thing. There, there's a, a delightful little parasite that lives on a fish's tongue. It mm. essentially eats the fish's tongue oh. and then parks itself there for the rest of its life. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even yeah. think I want to do this show with you anymore. <laughs> well, this is what I thought about. You know, I thought about all these things that are examples in nature can, of uh, of parasitic relationships. Can I ask a question, though? Why did you think of that? Because these are intelligent beings. Well, they are. And, and I kept thinking that, okay, so they actually are intelligent spacefaring beings. Yes. From what we can gather. Yes. Um, but they don't build spaceships so what are they, they're just waiting for something to come along and then they jump into that host so whether that had been a federation ship or a klingon ship or some other species that happened to show up at that planet mm-hmm. and then this thing is compelled by its biology and compelled by its evolution to jump into whatever that other thing is so that just seems like the nature part of what's going on here but they are intelligent enough to actually have a plan yeah we don't we don't know that they use technology but data says that there seems to be some sort of plan to take over the galaxy and they're coordinating starships and this all seems to be stuff that if i put these pieces together don't fit in with what they are to begin with well hang on a second we do know they use technology whether they can use technology on their own or whether they need other races' hands to do that, we don't know. But what they apparently can't do is just live crawling around, right? At least not in, right. our, not in our atmosphere. Because when, uh, when Quinn beams up the Enterprise, he's keeping one in a case. It's almost like a, it's almost like a terrarium or an mm-hmm. aquarium in a way. He's keeping it sealed, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as they can no longer be in their host body, whether because I guess I guess you're right, they must have they must have killed those because as soon as they can no longer be in their host body, and one assumes that that doesn't have to do with them just being unconscious, unless they just sensed threat and decided they had to get out of that body. But but mm. basically, they 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 make a mad dash for another enclosure. The other enclosure yeah. being uh, Remick, uh, Remick's yeah. body at that point. Yeah. So I mean, they they are using technology to an extent. I mean, it, apparently. Quinn can't have two of them in his body, but he has to get one up to the Enterprise to take over the Doctor. So he, so he's got one in a case. Yeah. So I mean, they they use technology uh, somehow. They, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. It, it's very strange. They they seem to understand technology, but they don't have technology of their own. Well, we don't know that. I mean, they 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 kill all discussion of this race when Picard's like, "So who are you people, and where are you from, or who are you things, and where are you from?" Mm-hmm. Ah, don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, like, what you need to worry about is that plate of worms, dude. They're getting away. Yeah. I guess not cold or warm. Or warm. Away. They just move away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, I guess uh, maybe that would have been a, a another discussion for a different script, is that what then, had they completed their plan and taken over everybody on Earth mm-hmm. and sent spaceships everywhere again what what would be the point is that you send spaceships full of human hosts or Mm -hmm. or humanoid hosts for these little things and then what then they go to another planet and another planet in order to jump into the bodies of whatever other creature may be waiting on that other planet right until they get destroyed yeah so it you know it, it seems again to me just like sort of a um 
a, a biology gone wild that their whole thing is just to propagate, 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 no matter what the the technology is, no matter what the host is, we're just going to jump into it and keep spreading our tiny little alien bodies all over this galaxy and into the next one if we can get there. Yeah. All right. So then, <laughs> then I asked myself ultimately, well, if they are intelligent yes. beyond just this compulsion to do this right what what else is in it for him because we, we didn't really have a chance to have a conversation with him like you said they shut off any ability to have a conversation this is all about eating worms yeah who well who shut that off i mean picard and Riker shut that off we should go yeah. back are we sorry mm-hmm. i don't know how to have this part of this conversation without having the next part of this conversation I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to jump to the end. I guess okay. that's what I'm saying. This is this is I mean there's 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 can, can we do that? Yeah, I'm totally good with moving on. Because I've got another thought that I'm going to bring back at the end. Okay. It, it, good cuz cuz I want to hear it, pal. <laughs> Oh. Sorry. We got here early. I, I, I have nothing clever to say here. I hate, I almost think of it as breaking character. But when we, when I, when I ask you specifically about, can we go from one segment to another segment? I feel kind of bad, but, but there's almost nothing to talk about in this episode except for what it all means. And that tends to be the part that we do at the end where we say time down to figure out the messages, morals and meanings and whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time. Right. Right. Because, I mean, when you're saying, so what's the point of these these monsters? My argument is there is no point to these monsters at all. Now, forgive me. I'm just going to jump. I'm going to jump straight ahead. I hate this episode. <laughs> I hate this episode. And I will tell you exactly why I hate this episode. Okay. This is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. But take out all the subtlety. Because <laughs> this, cause, this, this was actually so much. I thought this was Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I thought so much that, and then I realized, you know, I've never watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So what? as soon as I watched this the first time, you know, getting ready for this episode, yeah, I then went to iTunes and I rented the 1950 <laughs> version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Good. And that is an awesome, awesome movie. Yes, and it, is. it just makes this episode look so much worse when you watch it, <laughs> because what's happening in Invasion of the Body Snatchers is kind of a mystery. I mean, there are aliens, but they're being replaced by people who are exactly, exactly like the people that were there, except they're communists, because that's what Invasion of the Body Snatchers is about. Mm. Right. It's about yep. the communist threat. And it's about how, oh, sure, they look like your friends. They look like your family. They look just like us, but they're insidious and they're awful. And you won't notice a difference, but there is a difference because USA, USA. Right. Yeah. yeah. A- and because of Red Scare and because of like this threat. Right. As soon as you put a tail on these things and as soon as you make them eat worms, then then you remove that sort of like that sort of, ooh, what is this about? What this is about is monster of the week. Mm-hmm. And that makes it incredibly weak. I was so disappointed when there was no sort of that when there was no subversion. Now, when you say that Gene Roddenberry didn't want there to be, and we've talked about that all season long, I certainly understand it. But the problem is we've now wasted Quinn. We've wasted Remick. We've wasted a really interesting idea. 
and just turned it into, I mean, honestly, just a horror show. But then the problem is, it's, I mean, that's not, generally speaking, what you turn into Star Trek for. And except for how incredibly gruesome <laughs> everything that happened to Remick was, and it was incredibly gruesome. And, and even though I talked about his head exploding, I didn't get into half of what's so disgusting about what happens to Remick. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, it just, it, it's, ugh, this, yeah. this, this episode just, it, ah, I'm so sad because this episode could have been amazing. This episode could have been Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it kind of is, except again, without any of the, you know, uh, point, subtlety, message, anything you might have been able to take away. Well, that's the thing. I mean, what, what you're talking about is the great could have, would have, should have of mm-hmm. this episode. Yes. And, and, and that's why I wanted to get that out right up front about the whole thing that this was conceived as a comment on Iran-Contra, and it was conceived as all these other things. So I really do want people to go check out, even if you don't read the whole thing, at least go through the first few pages of the uh, the original story draft, because it is just completely and utterly different. Um, and I, I get the idea that they didn't want Starfleet to be tainted. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, well, we're back to this problem we've talked about before. If you remove all conflict and you remove maybe the less desirable traits from certain characters, if people are, you know, motivated out of some desire for profit or power or something like that that could create drama and create conflict, well, then what are you left with? And maybe then what you're left with is the worst part of this episode, that it is Monster of the Week. Yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. I, I, I'm, I feel like I could review this episode either way, because I do side with you in the idea that if I look at it as what could have been, what should have been, mm-hmm. this is a failure in all respects. Um, there could have been discussion of the prime directive. There could have been discussion about living up to ideals of being a Starfleet officer. There could have been all these other things. And instead, they went with a horror show that was Monster of the Week. Now, here's the thing, though. They hit the horror points kind of right. They created a creepy atmosphere. There was a sense of tension. The, the bowls of worms are disgusting. You know, I, I'm sure not to you know justify anything other than the scary space monsters like to eat worms. Right. In the end, though, it's a totally inconsequential episode. Yes. Because the, the plot is... We find monsters and we kill the monsters. Well, we don't know for certain at this point that it's a totally inconsequential episode because we are left with sort of that, you know, Remick got off the homing beacon. So more of these things may be on their way to Earth at some point. Maybe. But we don't know. I mean, (laughs) as we sit here, as we watch this, you know, as we watched it in 1988, we don't actually, you know, know whether that's the case or not. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the unfortunate thing, though, is maybe – Maybe there would have been some other plot line to revisit us in the future that could justify yeah. everything that these aliens are doing. See, and here's the thing. I feel weird in my distaste for this episode because throughout this first season of TNG, I've mm-hmm. been the one who's sort of been on the Gene Roddenberry side of, no, we don't want Starfleet to be this, you know, we want Starfleet to represent the best of everything that humanity can be, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could still do that and have this episode. 
I mean, you could still, I mean, this is not Starfleet being bad. This is these things taking over Starfleet being bad. And then you can say, oh, well, do those things represent greed? Do those things represent the lust for power? What do they represent exactly? Well, here they represent bugs. I mean, we just removed that so quickly. I do have to ask you one question, though. Sure. Okay, so they blow up Remick's head. Yeah. Right? And then he blowed up real good. And then there's that, you know, (laughs) thing like sticking out of him, right? Yeah. Picard and Riker don't even talk about it. They look at each other, they turn back, they blow it up. Talk to me again about how it would have wrecked the Picard character if they had killed Armus. <laughs> because they don't even talk about it. I mean, look, yeah, that, yeah. that thing is right there. They could catch it. It's obviously intelligent. They could hold their phasers on it and have somebody put it in a jar, and then it could be at a zoo. I mean, there are any number of things they could do. They could reason with it, because it's apparently got enough sense to reason. Okay, so you see what just happened, right? Are you do, are, are you cool talking now without trying to take us over? No. They look at each other. They look back at it. They blow it up. It's like that scene in Thelma and Louise when they decide they're going to blow up the truck. <laughs> they don't even look at it. They don't even talk about it. They just decide they blow up the truck. They blow up the truck. I don't I, – this 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 episode, blah, that, that surprised me. And then they just sort of write it off later. Like Picard's like, wow, you know, after years of respecting life, it's kind of weird to have to destroy it. But we did. Ken, if I had been in the room with Picard and Riker and the monster inhabiting Remick, and Picard and Riker had not taken their phasers and shot that thing, I would have taken the phasers from them and shot the thing. Okay. Um, You know, there comes a point where the, the clear and present threat of that, which has already inhabited all these other beings, which has already beat up everybody on the Enterprise, which has done all these other things, and we know is A, either going to crawl inside us, or B, crawl inside the next thing that it can, and start this whole process over again of taking over Starfleet, sending spaceships where it can, sending out weird orders, whatever it's going to do. Yep. It will keep doing that because it seems compelled to do that and not talk about it. Hey, dude, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying they shouldn't have killed this. I'm saying (laughs) when I say I I think it would have been interesting if Picard had killed Armas and everybody's like, no, no, you're wrong. You're high. He would never do anything like that. Well, sure he would. It's just a question of when. Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't don't act like, you know, oh, it'd be reprehensible for him to even think about doing something like that, especially because there's almost no examination of it afterwards. I mean, a real-life Captain Picard, and yes, I understand how stupid it is to say that out loud. (laughs) A real-life Captain Picard would have taken more than the 30 seconds it took in the uh, captain's log to go... Wow, we, we, I just killed like a, like a, like a race, apparently, or part of it anyway, because all those little things that were taking over these people were crawling back to this one thing. So he didn't kill the one thing. He killed the one thing and all the other little things. And granted, they were bad things, and you don't want them to be a threat. Still, I think the Jean-Luc Picard that supposedly we've been watching all season is, is going to have a minute of like, wow, was that, was that, was that right? Maybe, I, maybe, but I, you know, there, this there's was movie assumptions. Picard. This was movie Picard. This was not TV Picard. I guess that's really the best way to put it. And maybe that's the maybe that's the horror episode aspect of this. But this was movie Star Trek in a way, including yeah. including yeah, yeah. how graphic it is. This was movie Star Trek. This was not. This was not deeper meaning Star Trek. I don't feel like. Sure, sure, sure. 
I know. I, I feel like in their defense, so there, there are certain assumptions that you can make that if those things are here and they have already gotten as far as they have, mm-hmm. there are probably more and they are probably equally, if not more dangerous. Right. So, uh, yeah, it seems out of character with the Picard that had a conversation with Armus, but Armus, Armus was lonely and ready to have a conversation. These little things were not ready to have a conversation. <laughs> well, we don't know. I mean, that one is probably pretty lonely right now, you know waving its big ugly worm body outside of uh (laughs) body (laughs) (laughs) right well but here's the other thing you know we know that we can kill these little things with armus the more you shoot at it the more powerful armus becomes i'm just i'm just saying i i I felt like there was a uh, i felt like there was a bit of a disparity between the way people said it never even occurred to them like you said it never occurred to you that picard might do that and then them not even talking it over here yeah. Like, you know, if Riker had done it, even if Riker had just done it by himself, that would have that would have made a little bit more sense to me. I'm not saying it was wrong to destroy the thing. I think destroying the thing was absolutely what they should have done. It was just yeah. weird to me that it's, you know, it was this was swashbuckling. This was not I mean, this was this was movie Picard. Like I say, this is not TV Picard. Does I mean, you know, if Picard ever ends up in movies, I don't even know. If <laughs> we don't know. Right. Yeah. That's, right. that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Me leaping way far ahead. Sort of imagination talk. There's a bit of conversation that that was missing for you know, before we know that it, it's uh, it's really the real Picard and he can't let on or I'm sorry the the real Riker and he can't let on to Picard that he is the real Riker but he could have said like yeah these things are super dangerous they they threw a guy through one of our wooden doors on the Enterprise the seventy year old man yeah threw, they have to be stopped through Worf across the room right yeah. All right. So, all right. So is there a message, Ken? You're saying emphatically no. I don't think so. I mean, I think there could have been a message, but once they explain everything away, I mean, once they and, and once they destroy it all immediately. Yeah. For anybody, though, who made the mistake that I did of getting through decades of your life without seeing the original invasion of the body snatchers, go back and see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll probably end up hating this episode a tiny bit more unfortunately if you hate it maybe you like it i mean there's i can see why people would like it i just i was just frustrated by how much potential was left on the table here yeah what about you though do you is there still a message in this episode for you well i mean here's the problem though you know i thought for about two seconds because i had not seen this episode in a very very long time because i just remember it as the one where they blow up remick yeah you know and i thought okay well i know what happens in that episode they blow up remick and I thought going into this for this week that we would actually have a conversation about conspiracy theories and how they work. And then I abandoned all ideas. So we would discuss that. Yeah, um, because, you know, there are a couple of points that are interesting to bring up. Picard is skeptical of the claims that his friend is making. He decides to investigate on his own. You know, he's doing all the smart, rational things here, and he isn't willing to just go on the hunch of someone that he trusts um and, and he isn't willing to give in to the idea of like the special pleading argument uh which is to say well i you know i have special knowledge you just have to trust me on this those are interesting points but they mean nothing when it comes to the final analysis of the episode so that's what's unfortunate is that any attempt here to do something about conspiracies is off the table and then anything any ability to do something here about 
you know, uh, either subversion or, or power grabs or a- anything happening within a government or within a political structure, um, all of that is off the table as well. Because yeah. now it's just like running around your apartment, stepping on spiders. It's, <laughs> you know, really, that's the, that's the equivalent for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. The it message not- in this episode is pretty much a, a um, parasitic organism that takes over bodies and tries to take over the galaxy is bad. Yeah. And I think we can agree that, that you know, that, that, that is true. Well, unless I make you happy. Well. <laughs> <laughs> in which case sure just, in which you know, case yeah live and let sit there dude <laughs> right um but here's the thing in the end though i don't hate this episode the way that you do i was disappointed and i wanted more and i hoped for more in being able to revisit this 20 something years later mm-hmm. but if i just go okay this is the episode where they kill bugs and there's some creepy tension throughout mm-hmm. okay i'm fine with that but at the end of the day it's inconsequential it's inconsequential for star trek and it's inconsequential for any discussion of any kind of moral meaning or message yeah so that, that's, that's unfortunate and that's know? what i hate about it i mean there's yeah. there is so much potential in this storyline and there was so much potential in the Remick character. Like, I'm trying to figure out the timeline. So Quinn was worried that something was going on in Starfleet. And so he's taking Remick all around the galaxy with him and, like, quizzing people about, you know, who he can trust and who he can't trust, right? Mm. So was Remick always the host for this? Was the thing that Quinn was concerned about always walking around beside him but hadn't taken him over yet? Or is this something they discover later? That would have been an interesting thing to try to figure out, but this character just gets wasted, and the storyline just gets wasted, and that's that's. I mean, look, it's it's except for the Pee Wee Herman, except for the Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know, movement of those creatures. It's a fairly scary episode. It's a fairly well done episode. It's just it's just a useless episode, especially when you consider how much use they could have gotten out of all of the things that were here. Right. And that's I think that's the part that sort of you know disappoints me. It, it runs up to being a great episode and then it doesn't even jump the shark. It just sort of rides rides the bike up to the edge and goes, eh, nah, let's go back this way. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, that would have been interesting to know if Remick had already been a host. Yeah, um, because then, you know, why? I guess other than reconnaissance, why go to the trouble of going to the Enterprise and doing all of this and gathering information? I, you know, we don't know how these things reproduce, but it just seems like there's your opportunity to go ahead and start, you know, putting more little alien bugs into other Starfleet officers. Yeah, you'd think. Uh, yeah. But that, or, you know, go ahead and stick one in Quinn while you're at it and do that early on. But uh, but obviously the storylines had not been plotted out that way from the beginning. This was just sort of like a happy accident that we get to come back to this at the end and <laughs> plug these characters back into well, this. Well, it was an accident anyway. <laughs> right. All right, Ken, I think we've done all we can do with conspiracy. Um, but the good news is that uh, the parasites have not entirely taken over, which means that we will be back next week for more of Star Trek finishing up season one of Next Gen with the neutral zone. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. 
free to download at kitheory.com. So between the people hammering downstairs, my dog walking around on the hardwood floor, and your construction, yeah, this is kind of an awesome. This is kind of an awesome sound oh, yeah. Rod, Rod, would you like to would you like to cough for us, and we can just put that throughout? <laughs> yeah. <I guess. laughs> nice. Nice. We can build that as a special appearance by Rod Roddenberry. Beautiful. And transmission. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.